The following podcast is a production of Mosaic in Whittier, California, a community of faith, hope, and love. For more information about Mosaic gatherings and events, please visit mosaic.org. Let me introduce Tim Bartlett to all of you. Come on. I was sitting in my dorm room towards the end of my sophomore year in college, and uh, it was pretty late. I was alone. I'd been alone pretty much most of the night, sort of battling my head over all kinds of things and kind of tormenting myself, really, and doing a lot of pouting and stuff. And I got to the point of anger and frustration that I, alone in my room, I actually said out loud, I sort of, I guess, cried out to God, but I didn't really think he was there. So I said, God, I, I don't even know if you exist, but if you do, um, I want you to know that I hate the life that I've lived. The hypocrite that I'd been, sorry. Um, the the this the cynic that I was, and and the, how self-destructive I was becoming, um, just the way I was living my life. And I said, I think I even hate you. And the, like, if you look back and look at the snapshots of my life, that nothing really adds up uh, externally to make sense. It doesn't make sense that I was in that moment. I, I had a great upbringing, lived in a Christian home the most ideal parents, almost perfect parents you could ever imagine. And uh, externally, everything looked right. Um, I, growing up, I said all the right things and, and, and did all the right things and um, acted all that out. But I came to a point where I, I basically rejected it all. I, I rebelled against it. I, I disowned um, the, the faith, I guess. Um, I disowned it because I, I never really owned it. It, it wasn't really mine. Um, I grew up with parents who were pastors, and so I, can't, I think I just kind of followed suit. Um, and I went through a period of really, you know, pleading and begging God, like, God, you know, talk to me, show me a sign, something that, that I could believe in. I, I just feel like I, I didn't have that, and, um, and nothing ever came. And so that hatred that I expressed, or when I thought I hated God, it was because I felt like he had ignored me. If he was real, it, he didn't like me much either. And uh, so that night, I mean, nothing miraculous happened that night or anything like that, but, but that moment of, of being completely honest with myself and being completely honest with God, that a moment where I was, for the first time ever, probably the most authentic I've ever been, um, got me a lot closer, though, to understanding um, how God does speak uh, in our lives. And it's, it's often through people and... Uh, so sometime later, I um, was reading the, the reading the Bible, which helps. I recommend that, actually, if you're ever lost. I don't, I don't know why it took so long for me to come to that, but it, it did. And I was reading through Psalms, and uh, I came to Psalm 139, which is the psalm I'm going to read to you today. And uh, this resonated for me because it really put to verse what I was struggling to articulate throughout my whole life, basically, um, and especially in that moment. Uh, it's a mo- this 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 psalm. It's such a moment of honesty for David as well, and uh, you could see the the inner struggles that he has, and all the different emotions that he feels when he's writing this. So, if you guys want to follow along with me, um, I'm going to read that to you. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all of my ways. 
Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. For you have created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. If only you, God, would slay the wicked away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord, and abhor those who are in rebellion against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. I made this my prayer. Um, and, and, and through continuing to really be honest with myself and, and using these words, I slowly, bit by bit, started to learn. And I slowly, bit by bit, started to hear the, the real subtle voice of God in my life. And uh, so... That's why I shared it with you. Thank you. All right. I went to college when I was 17, when I first entered. And um, it was just the way that my birth year landed that I ended up going to school very, very young. And part of that, and on a scholarship. And I had a job. And my parents, who were happy that I sort of made it out of school uh, as a just like a thank you and, you know, boy, they brought me a brand new car and gave it to me. I mean, I had way too much and, and, and no responsibility. And, you know, at 17, you don't have a lot of discipline either. And uh, so I went to school thinking I was, you know, a, a bag of chips and, and, and all that. And, and I know how much people love chips. And so, uh, <laughs> so I assumed they loved me. And uh, with my stuttering and my tutu. And... I remember there was this older woman who was teaching English, and I, I was also one of those guys that, that took English and read poetry, so I was often picked on, and, you know, hey, don't take my headband, and uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, they fired up, hey, man, stop, and uh, so I, I went to school, and, and uh, the English teacher that I had, the prof, was, was uh, of course, exposing us to different literature and, and poetry, and I recall she made a statement that stuck, stuck in my mind. She said, whatever fascinates you can kill you. And, uh, and that because she had gray hair, I was obviously she had no idea what she was talking about, right? 
I mean, once you're 30, you have no, you have no insight into what people really live and deal with. You can't, you know. And, uh, and since I was 17, obviously I had the gift of youth and wisdom and insight. And so I know that you don't know, but you don't know that you don't know, but I know that you don't know. You know? <laughs> Good. So unfortunately, that stuck in my head. That whatever fascinates you, whatever you look at, whatever you focus on can eventually kill you. And so I tried to find ways to disprove that statement in my life. You know, I saw people who were focusing on things that necessarily were healthy and were subtly and almost insidiously informing and shaping their souls. And gradually, it's, it's, this is the thing about stuff that's unhealthy, it's never rapid. It's never quick. It's usually not quick. So folks that begin unhealthy habits, and whatever they might be, and, and by the way, this is probably a, a group that doesn't give a list out. Because what ends up happening is that rather than trying to prove what's right, I'd rather suggest to you what, what, is it, what is giving you life? What makes you a better person? How do you walk away from a, an event or an experience? With regrets or alive? Whatever it might be. So the thing about informing your soul and, and, and what fascinates you, what, what informs you, stuck for years and years after going to college at 17. Gosh, has it been four years already? And, um, and then this past week, there were so many conversations that happened as a result of, of Psalm 73 and the Psalm series and things that were going on. And so I'm actually going to revisit Psalm 73 today and, and look at it from another perspective. Last week, I talked about that if, if a person is, is connecting to God and if a person will connect to God, well, one thing they have to change is their eyesight, what they look at. All right? And we looked at verse 17, that this person would begin to look at things differently. And that changed their perspective, what they were looking at. The writer of Hebrews points out that we ought to keep our eyes focused on Christ, the author and the finisher of our faith, you know, the beginning and the end of it. And, and so that Christ becomes you know, the goal, the ability, and the journey itself. And it echoes what he said one of his last nights with his, with his students, with his followers. I, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I'm everything. So it's not that Jesus is, is the person that, you know, is there shaking his finger, man, you guys should not have done that, blah, blah, blah. Because most of us know better. We just, you know, we just don't want to do better, right? I mean, let's be honest. Or rather, I'll be honest with you. When I know better and don't do better, it's because not doing better seems to feel better than doing better. You know? Um, and it's, there, there are moments when it seems that the life without God almost seems more fulfilling than the life with him. And I'd rather have a fulfilling life even if it comes with regrets. So let's take this psalm a bit apart, a bit more um, by details. And so if you have this book, you can take that out. Psalm 73. Psalm 73 is written by a guy named Asaph. It probably is there in your superscription um, under the psalm. If you have a, any kind of Bible or one of these, it'll tell you. It is a psalm or a poem of Asaph. Asaph is the author of this and all the Psalms from here through 83. It's, you might say it's a section of his. In addition, he also wrote Psalm 50. Asaph in First Chronicles, one of the historical books in your Bibles in the Old Testament, and, and for those of you who are visiting today, this is maybe kind of new to you. I, I know this is sort of inside language. It seems like an inside conversation. 
But, but Chronicles and Kings and Samuel are a series of books in the section of the Bible called the Old Testament that has a more of a historical record of the kings of Israel. And Asaph is mentioned in that series of books as appointed by David, who, who himself was a gifted musician and lyricist. And so David chooses Asaph and says, Asaph, I want you to lead the community in music and songs and worship about God. So he was a worship leader, like you guys, what you guys get to do. Yeah, yay worship leaders. But the thing is about Asaph, even though he had experienced God in a very powerful way, on a daily basis, this is not just a Sunday morning gig. In fact, it would be a daily gig. And he was involved in music, involved in poems, involved in arranging, involved in composing, and all that that is. And you know how some of you have these powerful moments with music? It could be pieces from, uh, it could be an adagio, it could be another piece of music that just, just so speaks to a chorale, it could be rock, it could be country and western. I mean, I guess that happens. I, <laughs> Cry for help, I'm not gonna look. No, no, I, that's, I, 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 have, I have a collection of, I mean, six, 7,000 songs in my iTunes. And seven can be classified as country and western. I mean, there's, there's, I'm embarrassed to admit that one of them is, I don't even tell you the name, it's just so embarrassing. No, no, I'm not going to. Uh, no, I told you about the tutu, I'm sorry. The line's gotta be drawn somewhere. <laughs> Should I tweet? And uh, I see, I know, okay, I'm sorry. It was a moment of weakness, all right? You know what's even worse? What's worse? It's, man, I feel like a woman. That's, yes, I know. All right, I'm out. Dismiss this praying dismiss, because I, I know you're not hearing me anymore. And I can't delete it. I don't know why I want it there. Be proud, buddy. Long shirts, short skirts. Come on, I don't know. I'm just something about the song. I'm not sure why I enjoy it. <laughs> I really feel naked right now. I wish I had my tutu. <laughs> oh, man. That's horrible. Uh, Mosaic Whittier, just keeping it real. <laughs> really ugly. So uh, Asaph was that guy where he... He, he would create those moments with music for people to connect with God. And, and there's something about, uh, you know, corporate singing, corporate events. Some of you guys at concerts, you know, you're, you've been there with your lighter, oh, but you know, whatever it might be. And you're, you're into the moment of arena rock, you know, or maybe it's, it's the club things and the guy, you know, the guy with the hair down here and you're not sure if it's male or female, but, you know, it sounds okay. <laughs> He's on a guitar or, or it's on a guitar and, and uh, singing music. Oh, yeah, I feel you, man, you know. And, so we've all had those moments. And, and sometimes they've been very beautiful moments of classical music and pianos. And, other, and there's just there's such, such a variety of music, how, how good God is to create so many cultures that have such cool, great music you know, from around the world. But Asaph was the guy that brought Middle Eastern music and made it alive for the people of Israel. That was his job. But here's the funny thing. He just had a moment of crisis. He was done. He was just done. And see, this is the thing that I think it, it's interesting to me, that this is a person that you would assume, oh, this guy... This person never has a challenge. I mean, they are so connected. They're the people that help me transition in my soul. Surely they never have moments of doubts. And we all do. Because the reality is, is that all of us have a limit. We're all human. We all are on a journey. 
We all have a place that sometimes we just hit a wall and I don't want to do this anymore. In fact, it just seems totally unfair for me to continue following you. I told you last week that there was that moment uh, on a hot afternoon in my car, the air conditioning had just crapped out. It wasn't working anymore. It was the orange crush of stock and traffic. I was just thinking, ah. You know, there are so many things that have gone wrong, but I did not tell you that this was almost the end of the middle of a two-year process. The, the spiritual community I've been part of, things had just gone so completely wrong. There were so many false accusations flying. Things at work had gone wrong. Things in our marriage were starting to, it was starting to bleed into my marriage. Um, it, it just, everything that mattered to me was taken away. And I remember thinking, man, you are not good. You're not kind. There's no, there's no reason, there's no benefit to really try to live a good life. Because I've tried it and it doesn't work. And so my summation was, and like maybe some of you have hit that, hit that place where you're not good if you're not good to me. Right? And, and, and right, it happens, right? Okay, it happens. And so Asaph had hit that place. So let's, let's go to verse 1. Surely God is good to Israel and to those who are pure in heart. Let me just stop here for that moment. This is a guy that's telling you, I believe God is good. And he's good to the community. He's good to people. He's good to the nation. He's good to individuals. But what he's saying here, he's just not good to me. That's, that's a horrible place to be. And some of you are, have been in that place or maybe you're, you're processing through that place. Where God is good, but I'm the reject. God is good, but I've done so many dark things that I just, you know, I'm, uh, he just, he puts up with me. And maybe because of your, the way your family was, you know, a dad, a mom, oh, I, I don't know, an uncle, somebody forced you to wear a tutu every day. Maybe you're just, uh, you're just in that place where you think that people who should have loved you and cared for you and had charge over you, that if they didn't care for you, didn't have charge over you correctly, and didn't treat you well, that possibly you're not a thing worth loving. And you've carried that so many years that unfortunately now you're carrying it and you're projecting that to your Father in Heaven. And, and what I love about that title in the scriptures about our Heavenly Father, that it's just not a nicety, it's a reality. It's our Father, and all, that, all that's supposed to be good about that. The one who protects you, the one that encourages you, the one that who's, who, who informs your soul, tells you, you're gonna make it, man. Or you're my beautiful daughter. And the, the, the father that has such an impact in our lives forever, it seems, right? That guy. He says, I'm your father in heaven. So I'm the guy that, that all that daddy stuff that's supposed to, supposed to have happened that would have been good for you. If it did happen, awesome. If it didn't happen, I, I feel you. I'm, I'm also the guy that it's not, I don't have any mistakes in me. I don't lose my patience. I don't look at you and say, damn you, why do you do that again? I'm not that guy. I'm not the guy that hates you. Or the guy that, that maybe hits you too hard. Or too long. Or out of frustration. I'm not that guy. I'm in heaven. Your father. And see, this is where Asaph's problem was. Is that he understood that, that God was good. And good to Israel. I just don't feel you as being good to me. So this is why though. He said in verse 2, but as for me, my feet had almost slipped and I had nearly lost my foothold, I, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Why, why, why do I envy them? Why do I wish I was them? Because they don't have any struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They're free from common human burdens and they're not plagued by human ills. Therefore, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. Their callous hearts become uh, comes iniquity. 
or really, really darkness, really corrupting poisonous darkness. And evil conceits from their minds, they know no limits. They scoff, they speak with malice, their, their arrogance, they, they threaten oppression. And their mouths lay claim to heaven, their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance and they say, how would God know? Does the Most High know anything? So here's this first section I want you to point out here. This fella is looking at they, outward. This is what he, that's what this Asaph guy is doing. He's looking at they, looking out. And they are those, you know, they get to stay out later. They drive a nice car. They seem to have no problems. And you know, if, uh, those of you who have parents, and you, have you always noticed there's always some they out there that your kids are referring to or referencing? What I've noticed with people is that whatever they seem to, they think that they lack or what's missing in their lives, everybody else has it but them. You know, if you're a single person and you would like to have a relationship, all you see is couples, right? You see two trees, you see two dogs. <laughs> you're at Starbucks, no, it's just me. I'll have two coffees, no! <laughs> You've got double vision, I mean, that's all you see. Then when you're married, all you see is singles. Oh, they were happy. <laughs> or, you know, worse, and this is, I mean, let, let's be very, very frank, right? If you're married and sometimes it's tough and you go through that spot, all you see is everybody else who's married is happy but you. Now, here's where it gets worse. There are people in spiritual communities who are habitually, uh, consistently, incorrigibly, with impunity, English major, um, living with darkness or have a dark habit, and they're doing well. That blows, doesn't it? Because you know it. You see somebody who's, who's abusing themselves or others, it could be an emotional thing, it could be a spiritual thing, it could be a number of issues. They're just, they're just not managing their life well. They're certainly not managing their life in accordance to the ideals that they say they want to live up to. And you do one little dumb thing and bam, you just feel like you get hammered. <clears throat> you know, this is not fair. This is what he's saying in verses uh, 11. How would, uh, dude, God doesn't care about this, man. He would, God doesn't care about this, bro, come on. Really? Doesn't that seem that God's a little bit, you know, into the details, a little anal, a little controlling? You really think he cares about who I sleep with? how I spend my money, what I do, when I do this, honestly, because I'm doing fine. And they are, or it seems that they are. Or you might be in a job where, you know, in sales, because in sales you have a, a daily 101 decisions to be ethical or unethical every single day. You can tell the truth up to a point. Or, and it seems like people who are unethical or, or live, in, live in a world with no rules, they seem to succeed and close deals and get paid and acknowledge you're trying to do the right thing and you're left behind. And worse, they'll say something like, I want to thank God, because I, you know, we're this, really? <laughs> we're, we're doing this, we're having this dance. You can't get away with anything, can you? It just seems like one little thing. Bam, you get hammered. You know, what good is following God? They get to have everything. Verse 12. And this is what the wig of their life. They're always free of care and they go on amassing wealth. 
wow, we just have sometimes that, that skewed vision that everyone is doing so well. And it may be that they are for a while. Awesome. You know what I've noticed? And this is what I've come to, because I've been in sales, gosh, since 1978, um, where I've learned that even somebody else's success doesn't take money out of my pocket. And when someone else doesn't close a deal, it doesn't put money in my pocket. I, I, still have to, I still have to manage my own accounts, my own territory, my own job. I, I've always been surprised how people want to take ownership for stuff that doesn't belong to them and then deny ownership for stuff that they should. They hold up um, issues in their life as a shield against criticism. You don't know what it's like. I was, whoosh, shield goes up. So therefore, you can't criticize me. Usually it's an addict or a person that, that so habitually uh, you know, tries to anesthetize their pain with their destructive habit. You don't know what it's like. I was, whoosh, shield goes up. So Asaph's looking at these people and, and looking at folks around him that he apparently knows, and he says, man, they just, they just continue to succeed and succeed, and they're part of my spiritual community. I don't get that. And so it's been worthless. Verse 13, surely in vain I've kept my heart pure and washed my hands in innocence. All day long I've been afflicted, and every morning brings new punishments. This guy was not an early riser. You know, it's, this is one of those moments when you go to bed in pain and you wake up in pain. And it's not this, um, it's not the kind of thing where you just take Tylenol for. It's the kind of thing where it's just this constant dull ache in your soul. You can't get rid of it. Because something seems unfair. And you disconnect it somewhere. And, and so you keep thinking, well, how do I connect back to God? I mean, I know he's good, but it's just not good for me. And you're, you're fussing and you feel frustrated. And I was just having this conversation the other day with somebody, and I was pointing out, I go, well, by the way, if you want to write this down, because this is going to be life-changing. The secret to connecting with God. You ready? Here it is. There is no secret to connecting with God. You know, because it's a person. It's not a machine. There's no formula. You know why? Because a formula is what you do. I do this, pull the lever, you know, mix that, boom, psh, I get the results. You want, you want formulas, go to a lab class. You want certainty, go, you know, take a math class. But relationships, something that you have. Um, I have a friend a couple months back, um, we, were, we were chatting over coffee, and they said, hey, man, I, I really like the idea of marriage now. I didn't before, but after seeing you and Lily, I really like the idea of marriage. I said, oh, really? After seeing us, you're still like, no. Yeah. <laughs> Even now, still, you. <laughs> so, because of who this person is, they took out a notepad and a pen. So, how do you do it? <laughs> oh, you want the formula. And I, you know, I'm sorry, how do we do what? You know, what exactly are you asking? I mean, how do you stay married? Oh, you know, it's a, it's a lot of love, it's a lot of patience. It's a lot of yelling. I go, dude, I, I, I don't know. I mean, everyone's got their own rhythm, got their own dance. Everyone does it differently. I mean, if you hung around us, you know that we have this thing that we do. That, 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 uh, well, I'll tell you what, let me, let me tell you about a couple that I know, and then I'll tell you about my wife and I go, this is contrast. I know this young couple. I think they're terrific. I really, really do admire what they do because they always affirm each other. And every time they talk to each other, they always refer to each other as love. Love versus. Love versus that. Now, the first time I heard it, it was like, oh, you know, they, <laughs> it won't last. You know, they're, 
They're just dating right now, so <laughs> give it time. But two weeks into it, and they're still doing it. And now they're engaged, and they're going to be married soon. But um, but I love this notion that, that with even that, without even uh, let's say intentionally saying we're going to affirm each other, who we are in each other's life, we're just going to say who we are to each other all the time. See, but that's not Lily and I. See, Lily and I, we, we do call each other honey, but there's always an adjective ahead of it. There's always crazy honey. There's stupid honey. There's nutcase honey. And it's developed over the years because we love each other, but there's that other side to our lives. I, I love you, and, but there's a sweet side as well. Are, are honey, crazy honey, what, where did you get this notion? Or crazy man honey, you know, or crazy man honey, and, and you know, so we, there's this constant, you know, mock argument that goes on, so that we acknowledge, yes, we drive each other crazy, but you are still sweet to us. Others have a different way of their relationship, you know, and, and so what I'm trying to point out is that if you look at the myriad of relationships that go on with people, how do you suppose that God has this just one formula for everybody? This is what you do. It just isn't that way, it's a person. Again, there's no formula. The formula is something that you do, a relationship is something that you have. And that's, I think, goes back to the key. Our relationship is built on time, built on getting to know that person, talking with that person, understanding. You sharing your heart with that person, right? Have you noticed when you tell people what, what makes you tick, what, what, what your dreams are, what your passions are, what your hurts are, that you begin to go close to that person? I think that's kind of how it happens with God. But generally what we want is relief, not the relationship, you know? Because we're still, yeah, 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 I'll tell you, uh, yeah, I think I'm connecting, but I'm still seeing this, and my focus is here. And so what your focus is, what your fascination might be, will end up killing you and just been sucking the life out of your soul. So Asaph has this thing where he's just looking out, and people who seem to do, manage their lives poorly, spiritually poorly, they're in this community, and they're, they're doing well, and he's not doing well. So then he shames, changes the focuses a little bit um, to um, himself. So it's first they going outward, and then me going inward. And in verse 15, he goes on to say, boy, if I had spoken like that, I would have betrayed your children. And when I tried to understand all this, it, it troubled me deeply until I entered the sanctuary of God, and then I understood their final destiny. See, here's what happened. In, in verses 12 through 14, at some level, <laughs> in fact, you know, this is a very honest moment, right? In verses 12 to 14, here's what he's saying. They get to have everything that they, they want. They get to have their darkness, their weirdness, their habits, and all I get is you, you know? That's what he's saying. They get to do everything that they want to do, and all I get is just you. Ever been in that relationship where you just, it, it's just enough to be with the person? You know, you can be, uh, when my wife and I were first dating, you know, we were, we were so in love, we didn't know how miserable we were. We were so broke, we couldn't even pay attention. I mean, that was just, it was just that bad. Good, some of you got that. And um, we had the $1.85 dinner. This is back in 1979, I think it was, where we would go to Avera Street after work and we would have our $1.85 dinner with you know, tacos and a Coke. and I think it was maybe three bucks for both of us to eat. But it was a feast, right? Because you know, you're with the person you love and everything is wonderful. But sometimes when you're with somebody that you don't care for, I don't care what you're having, it tastes like wow. 
and you know what lock tastes like, right? It's fun, that's a Hispanic expression, and some of you are actually getting that, which is good. And there have been those moments where some, sometimes you're looking at that person across the table that you're most committed to, and you're thinking, man, all I get is you. That's a horrible place to be. Because deep down inside, you do love the person. But somehow they just lost their work to you. And this is where ASAP was. I know you're good. I know you're good to everybody. But you've lost your worth to me. And all I get is you. I guess some of you are right there. Because all you see is what everybody else has that you want. It's a huge difference from what you need. So he has this moment in verse 17 where he See, this is interesting. If I understand the timeline correctly, there, there really wasn't a temple per se. It was just a place. And um, he connects to God in a way that he, he gets his vision correct, that he begins to understand that there's something of more value than just the things that are valuable here. But here's my first question to you then when I, when I read this is that is that really true for you? I mean, you, you we, listen, I mean, in, in, a, in a church environment, and this is a church, right? In a church environment, we're all going to say, yeah, Jesus, yeah, that's all I need, or, you know? Maybe not like this, but for, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> nor should you do it that way. Um, but, but we're all going to say, yeah, 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 that's all, all I want is God, and blah, 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 and we sing the songs, and, you know, and, and then when it comes right down to it, when, when you have pain, and when you're lonely, or when, something goes wrong or you know honesty really matters or it's going to cost you to be honest as you say then you really find out who you are and what you really believe and by the way i'm not speaking like you guys i'm saying all of us i've had my moments where i i, I oh my gosh i'm really this person in a moment of crisis because here's the funny thing crisis and temptation never come with a warning they just they show up don't they you never get a chance to think about it. Oh, I've lost my faith, man. At this crisis, I lost my faith. No, 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 no. The crisis exposed your faith. That's all it did. See, because apparently what you had was a crisis management faith. That's it. And, and that's okay. All of us have gone maybe go through that stage. But part of working your way out of that is having the honest assessment that this is really all I want God for, is when I'm in pain. And if he doesn't come through when I'm in pain, or the stuff that I need while I'm in pain doesn't allow me to do, okay, I'll be back. I'm gonna go do my thing, and I'll come back when I need you for something else. Hey guys, have you ever dated that woman who only likes you when you're buying stuff for her? Not that any of you guys have done this, ladies, but I'm just saying, there's some people that don't go to church, that are, or they go to other churches, and... Uh, <laughs> in fact, we shall name them now. Put that up on the slide. Uh, <laughs> and the ladies' names as well. For those of you who are looking to date, you won't date these women. <laughs> they were out of the place, guys, and, and, and one, of the first one of the first things a girl asks you about car you drive? No? Oh, come on. That never happened to you guys? You guys go out? I mean, I, it's just, uh, no, never. <laughs> <clears throat> well, I've read where it does happen to some people, and then... Uh, <laughs> 
And you're just that person. If, you, if you're the guy that can supply the good times and the you know, good life or some fun, then you win. But if, if not, then I'm not interested. And, and you think, oh, you know, what a, what a horrible person that is, da 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 blah, blah, blah. But you know, we're, that pe we're those people sometimes. We're those people sometimes. We're absolutely those people sometimes. And so I, I guess it goes back to that question, you know, is God enough by himself? Because if you're, if you're honest, I mean, sometimes what we're frustrated with is that we think everybody enjoys their life. We don't get to enjoy our lives because all we get is God. So he continues. Uh, Surely you place them on a slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. How suddenly they are destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. They're like a dream when one awakes, when one arrives. When you arise, Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. So when my heart was grieved and my, and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. Hmm. Years ago, there was, a, there was an ad campaign. I think it was for Miller. It says, you can have it all. Remember that campaign? Yeah, you can have it all. It, it, it's not true. <laughs> it just isn't. You know, At some levels, you kind of have to decide what you're going to say no to. Now, here's, here's part of the process as a, as a follower. If you're, if you're going to be a follower of Christ, at some level, you, I think you have to decide, <clears throat> what's my non-negotiable? What's the one thing I cannot negotiate on? This is the thing. Um, there, there are some things that are black and white. There are some things we have to think through. And, you know, what's the, what's, what is the highest level of living in this way, of managing this situation? What is the highest thing I can do here? What is the most noble thing I can do here? What is the most generous thing I can do here? And sometimes they're tough to figure out. And some things are very clear. And, and, and some of us have, just haven't decided any of that. You know, it just, we'll decide on the fly. So when you're going to become the person you're going to become, you have to decide ahead of time, this is not a non-negotiable for me. This is a non-negotiable for me. You know what else it also means? I'm having a conversation with another friend once that, they mentioned, oh, you know, I'm trying to connect with God. I said, oh, no, no, no. I, I'm sorry, you're making a mistake. You, you, you are connected. I know who you are. You're connected. You're just deciding who's in control. It's a huge difference. That's your struggle. And it is a struggle. Um, because at some level, we want what we want. We want what we want. And it seems if, if other people get what they want, and they're doing okay, why does God hold me to a different standard? That's just not fair. Boy, I hear my own kids sometimes. What does so-and-so get to do that? That's not fair. <laughs> Life's not fair, son. Get used to it. There you go. <laughs> it's just going to get worse from here on in. <laughs> Now go to bed. <laughs> it's easier that way. Yeah. I had a, another friend mention recently that, that all, of, all, of, all of her friends had let her down and, you know, just didn't, weren't there, and blah, 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 you know. So I was trying to unwrap this for this person by asking a few questions. And, and, and uh, from what I understood as I began to replay the tape for them was, you know what it seems like 
is that the only time you have friends is when you're in crisis. You know, um, part of friendship is, is a consistent, you know, journeying with them, hanging out with them, doing stuff. And I know you, you, you said you've done that, I get that, but it seems like when you really want to reach out to people, it's only when you need something. You know, what happens when they need something from you? Um, and for some of us, <clears throat> that's, how, that's how we, the friendship with God is. You know, I, I, it's a very perfunctory thing. Maybe you have a morning prayer thing that you do, maybe a, a Bible thing that you read, and you're, you're, you know, hey, I'm done, I did my thing, because you're operating in a formula mode. This is what I do to stay connected. I put in my, my Jesus coin, pull the lever, I should come up, you know, all sevens, right? Not that I've gambled, I'm just saying that <laughs> when Patrick went to Vegas last week and he told me that, um, <laughs> Asaph, I mean Patrick over here, um, so, um, and so when it doesn't, you know, work according to the formula, then God's not worth it. Instead of thinking, you know, what, what was my role in this? What's really interesting is when you talk to people and you process their relationships and other issues that they're going through, they always forget the consistent theme in all of it. Them. You know, it's always them. It's always somebody else. It's never them. And so when I see a person that has long-term friendships, year after year, uh, with opposite sex and same sex, and, and it doesn't deteriorate into something weird, they, they, they work through... Uh, arguments, they were able to process through other issues. I, that's a person that's invested in other people as they haven't been invested in. But if you're the person that every, you have, you, you know, your friendships last maybe nine months to a year and you're on to the next friend and you're no longer able to talk to that one person, something's wrong. Let's be honest, something's not, you're not developing the skill of relationships. This just is the way it is. I mean, I, I, I don't know how to paint it any differently. Now, if I'm wrong, and I could be, you, you, we can talk about it, you can reach me. But I've seen it over and over again, that when people have those you know, serial friendships or serial relationships, it has maybe something to do with you, not everybody else hates you. Not, the world's not out to get you. So we've gone, Asaph has gone from they outward and me inward, and he's gonna change his, his tune here in just a bit. Verse 23, yet I'm always with you and you hold me by my right hand. And this is what you do, you, you guide me with your counsel, with your input. You're my primary teacher, my life coach, you're my God. And afterwards you take me into glory, you take hold of me. So in heaven whom have I but you? And earth has nothing I desire Besides you, and that's a lovely statement. It's a huge turnaround, isn't it? Now, listen, this is one of those things where you cannot do this for yourself. Don't you hate those moments of when you're really struggling and someone says to you, all you need to do is believe. I'm not a violent person. <laughs> you're drawing it out of me. I already believe that's my struggle. It's not because I don't believe. Because when you don't believe, you don't struggle. And doubt that we fear is usually the process of our faith. John had it, right? John the Baptist. This line in the desert, this awesome man, this forerunner, the proclaimer of the Savior of the world, right? Had a following, changing Israel, 
He sees his cousin walking down. Bam, he declares, that's, that's the Lamb of God. You guys should follow him. He's the one. Whew, I'm glad he's here. I'm so excited. I'm done with my work. This is awesome. Gets put in jail. Are you the one? Um, are you really the one? See, some of us have been those people where we're just, we're so connected to God. We so understand him and we, we actually connect other people to him. We hit our wall. And, oh, you know what? He's just not good to me. And we didn't get what we wanted, we think. Years ago, my wife and I were reading through the book of Job. And uh, the book of Job it is, a, is a great epic poem about a man who lost everything. I mean, painful, painful losses. So his kids, his health, his, his business, even the connection between he and his wife was broken and damaged. I mean, the guy had nothing. On top of that, his friends from church were saying, well, it's obviously you've somewhere. You've blown it. You, you're, you're, just confess your darkness. Come clean. And he had none. And, and so he, in his, with his own willpower, he gets to the point, he says, even if you kill me, I will still serve you. I thought, oh my gosh, what noble, what, what nobility, what honor, right? But getting there is a different story. See, we all love the idea of this resurrection of God, the resurrection of life in our lives, which implies that something must die first. And sometimes it's really our own wants. Now, before I make this sound like you have to die, let, let, me, let, me, let, me, let me explain something. You do. <laughs> that, that's this crazy sort of mystical journey that we're on as followers, is that we're saying, I, I've lived my life, uh, I think you're better. I think you have something more than what I have by myself on my own. And so I'll give you my life. And he says, oh, awesome, I'll exchange it for mine. And then the process goes on. And by the way, you don't have to be all in at first. But he does want all of you. And occasionally in the journey, he'll come to you and say, hey, I, I want to talk about this area in your life. You go, mm -mm, no. <laughs> no, 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 no. This is a small thing. Yes, I know, but it's choking off so many other areas of your life. Yeah, you understand, but I really like this thing. Yes, but I know, but it needs to go. Mm, no, we're not having this conversation. And he says, okay. See, at least God will give you the dignity of your choice. And we will here too, if you want. But then you can't say that God isn't good if he's given you what you're saying you want. And if it's not him, he just won't impose himself on you. Because that's part of a healthy relationship. Okay, let me finish this and we'll uh, get going. What a great verse, verse 25. Verse 26, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. So those who are far from you will perish and, and you'll destroy all those who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, <clears throat> it's good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge, my fortress, my security, my, my place of, 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 of rest. And so therefore, I'll tell I will tell of all your deeds. This is what I notice with people who have gone through a very dry desert experience. Now one last final thought and we're gonna dismiss on this. I have never met anybody who has a quiet confidence about who God is, who hasn't 
gone through a very dry desert experience in their lives. It just seems that it happens. And when I read the different stories of people who connected with God in the Old Testament and the New Testament, almost everybody has one. Literally, a desert experience. Moses has his, Elijah has his, right? Paul has his, three years he talked about in Galatians. Jesus has his, everybody has one. And so sometimes being in that dry place where you're wondering and you have the doubts, is it worth it, does it matter, is part of your journey. It's not that he's forgotten you or forsaken you. It's that he, he cares so incredibly for you that he no longer wants these, these phony artificial props that have been holding you together. He wants to be your strength, completely your strength, and fill you with the life that you actually have been seeking. Let me jump in a moment of prayer. Surely you're good to us, and you are good to your people, and you're even good to people who won't claim to be your people, because you're just a good God. You give relationships, and food, and dance, and music, and beauty and nature and surf and sports and just all sorts of moments of beauty to anyone to enjoy them. Family and friends. But you are really good to us. You invaded our own stories. You begin to push out those things that have been dented and harmed by others to our lives and the things that we've intentionally done to ourselves, those self-inflicted wounds on our souls. Because you're just good. You heal us. You heal us when we understand your love. You heal us when we understand your great kindness. You heal us when we are so faithless and continually want to move away from you after we've said, I do, that you will pursue us and call us back. You're good to us and kind to us and heal us by your words and by your small and great gestures that we experience through communities and friends. So here, this is what I pray. We don't want the car, but I want you to fix our money problems. And I want you to fix the pain I'm having in our backs. Or none of that. Because there's really nothing on earth we desire more than you. And we don't even know at times that our soul craves you. And so what I pray for myself and for the folks here in this room, those who feel close and those who feel far, and those who are here just checking this moment out, what I pray for is for you in our lives, more of you. That we have clearer vision to see your beauty that we have bravery to walk in to your presence. That we'd have the courage to listen to what you say to us about our lives. And that you would infuse us with your power to walk with you. Stay in your rhythm. Step by step. Heartbeat by heartbeat. Breathing in and breathing out when you do. Moving with you. And thank you so much for loving us. Thank you so much for allowing us to experience you and know you in a way that's beyond the literature, beyond the prayers, beyond the music, beyond settings, that we actually get to know you, the living God, the Spirit who heals and gives life. And so it's in your Son's name we pray. Amen. Amen.
Thank you for listening to this production by Mosaic Whittier, a community of faith, hope, and love. For more information about Mosaic gatherings and events, please visit mosaic.org.